1: Folks, this is going to be really uh, interesting. Today, we're sitting down with uh, George Frankel um, from Eternal Reefs, and we got put onto Eternal Reefs from a, a conversation not too long ago where we were talking about
3: terramation. Can I chime in here for a sec? Sure. Come on! I'm about to. I'm i I'm at 4:30 today. I'm. I'm finalizing my will for the first time. Wow. Okay. And uh wow, wow. dude. Good job. Okay. Yeah, that's maybe. really good. Honestly. And well, I have a daughter now, so that was kind of the like. It was like you got a daughter. This yeah. is something you should definitely do. As a <laughs> this but, is
0: a timely time <clears throat> to have this conversation, maybe it'll yeah. influence what you put in that will.
3: I am well. Maybe it well. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe <laughs> it will. Maybe I will make some <laughs> last minute changes after this. But I put in that I that my pri- my my preference for. Uh, funeral Arrangements is uh, Terramation
1: Okay, well, uh, maybe put that on pause for a second Because we're about to speak to George Who, again, uh, from Eternal Reefs And, okay, what is Eternal Reef? Eternal Reef combines uh, crematorium urn, ash scattering, and burial at sea Into one meaningful, permanent environmental tribute to life George, welcome to the show Thank you Thank for you. joining us today uh, Give us a little bit of insight What What is Eternal Reefs? Where did this all start Um, You know, give us give us give us the goods.
2: Sure. The background of Eternal Reef started in 1998, where I had a different business. And one of the people, a guy by the name of Don Brawley, was working with me in that business. And Don came into the office one day and said that he needed a couple of days off to go down to Florida and mix his uh, father-in-law's cremated remains into one of the reef projects that he had been involved in prior to coming to work with me. The instant he said it, I, ha- I was dealing with, my mother's life was winding down, my brother had just been diagnosed as terminal. Neither my, my mother was going to be the last person in our family cemetery plot. I lived in Atlanta, our family is up in New York, my brother lived in Houston. Neither one of us had any desire to be buried, had any desire to go back to New York. So when Don said this, it immediately made sense to me. And I said, you know, you can certainly have the time off, but when you come back, let's really talk about seeing if this is a viable concept. Hmm. It was certainly ideal for me personally. And I called my brother and he felt very much the same way. My brother is now part of an internal reef off of Galveston, Texas. No way. So we started building this concept into a business model. um, And uh, we ended up, our first project, we did in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and we had uh, it had been arranged for us that CNN was going to cover this live, which for our coming out party you couldn't ask for more.
3: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. On <laughs>
2: Un- unfortunately, um, September 11th occurred about a month prior to uh, to our scheduled date, and obviously that never happened. So. Mm in broadcasting, has never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started our work, and we were under the impression that the funeral industry was ripe for change. Yeah. Now, the funeral industry is an old, stodgy father-to-son, father-to-daughter industry. They're used to making money a certain way. They're used to processes, and they are very resistant to change. Yeah. Um, so we spent the first four years targeting the funeral industry, and let me step back one big step. And that is when I first got involved in this, we had to make two one of two strategic questions answered. And that was, were we part of the funeral industry or were we part of the reef building industry? And that hmm. may be semantics to other people, but to us, it's a critical differentiation. Hmm. We were going, we were working with reef building organizations and we made the uh, absolute decision that we were part of the reef building community using cremated remains as the tool by which we were gonna enhance the environment. Mm -hmm. So this is where we made a very specific decision with what we were gonna do. We tried to approach the funeral industry and literally spent our entire funding uh, knocking our heads against the wall. And there was one part that was legitimate in my mind. And that was that um, we would knock on a funeral home's door they were used to things not changing, even though cremation had gone to 50% by the time we were stepping up. Well, and, uh,
1: sorry, what do you mean by gone to
2: 50%? Oh, I'm sorry. The cremation rate in, in all countries, but in the United States has been steadily moving up. Right, and right. By 1999, the United States was virtually at a 50% cremation rate, okay. which meant all these funeral homes were losing revenue because a traditional burial or what they call a traditional burial is so much more expensive than a cash
1: cow. Yeah.
2: So we thought we would be adopted as a long lost relative, uh, a rich long lost relative (laughs) by the funeral industry. And what we found out was obviously it's an old industry that doesn't change very easily, but they had one very legitimate issue with us. And that was uh, who the hell are you? You know, (laughs) I never heard of you. I never heard of this concept. Why would I risk my business by turning my customers over to you? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there saying, you know, if I owned a funeral home, I'd have a little bit of a problem with this as well. So we made the conscious decision to go direct to the consumer. And it was the smartest thing we've ever done with regards to our marketing strategy. So in 2004, we started going direct to the, uh, uh to the funeral industry. And, uh, it was, uh, and and then and, and we started seeing real benefits from that. And by the way, we would not have survived if it was not for social media and, in particular, Facebook. Yeah, it gave us entry into all of the different states, all of the different marketplaces, and so we were getting information requests and we were getting uh, client families from literally around the country, and we were getting them internationally. So uh. we were getting we. Got a number of folks from uh, Holland. We've got a number of folks from England, Germany, Japan um, that have all opted to come to the United States to do this. Mm. I tell people that not a single day goes by that I don't get some real affirmation about the value of what we're doing to other people, not just to us. And what I mean by that is we didn't initially invite people to come and participate with the making of the reef. We were using our own paradigm saying, you know, this is down in Florida in the middle of July, hot, muggy, who in their right mind is going to do this? We got a couple of requests for people to participate, and we certainly encourage them to do that. But we got a special request from a woman, and she came down, and this is one of those people who is just gorgeous. And this is the one... um, Uh, one one memorial that we did that literally changed all of us and our perception of what we were doing. She came into the concrete yard. She was dealing with her son of 20, 21, 22 year old son who had passed, Mm. who had actually taken his own life. And that's an important characteristic of the story. Um, And she was coming in with her new husband of 20 years. And she was holding her son like this against her chest, not even open handed, but just like this. And she was a beautiful woman, but her face was just chiseled in stone. She started mixing the concrete. And she's crying a little bit and going on and on. And she gets done. She puts the concrete together. She puts her hand in the wet concrete to leave a handprint. She picks it up and shows it to me with the biggest grin mm-hmm. on her face that you could ever imagine. She was so pleased. Her son was a surfer on and on. We ended up going to the memorial, and we're standing there. She's there with her whole extended new family of, arguably, twenty years. Her father, the father, her ex-husband, is there with his extended family of twenty something years, and the uh, mother and father are standing in front of their son's memorial with their arms around each other. One of his daughters comes over to me and says, "You see that?" "See yeah, she said. You know, and there were big extended families. We have never met, never talked, or never known about the mother's side of the family. Mm. Every communication for the last 20 years was between lawyers. Mm. Now, I can't tell you whether or not this was a lifetime healing experience, but for that day, between watching the woman change physically when she did the memorial Mm. to the fact that the family was at least. For this period of time, acting like a family again, it knocked us all in the dirt. I mean, we really were absolutely astonished mm-hmm. at what we, this value was. It made us change our approach significantly. Now we started to encourage people to come and participate with the making of the reef. Right. Initially, it was a little problematic because there was 30 days from making the reef to when we could put the reef in the water because it had to cure. When the... Um, economy took a tank in 2008. We made the decision that we would use precast reef balls as our material. And let me step back and tell you what a reef ball is. A reef ball is a concrete structure that's round, it has holes in it, and it's hollow. And it is the international gold standard for artificial reef development they're extremely stable in the marine environment hmm. the concrete is pH neutral the outside is textured so mother nature can go right to work on these when she, when we put them in the water so basically just to,
0: just to interject there for a second george basically when you say because i was uh, a little bit lost in the beginning about the the concept of reef building but you're basically building like a a core the foundation for a coral reef you put these concrete balls in the water and then, but the and remains then, are a part of, and like, yeah. So the the remains are mixed into the concrete, and then the um, mo- as you say, Mother Nature sort of uh, jumps onto that reef ball and starts and, to build a, a a reef off of it.
2: Exactly, cool. you got, you nailed. It. That's exactly what it does. And by the way, these are not uh the smallest reef ball that we use; is seven hundred and fifty pounds. Whoa, Whoa. So Whoa. extremely Holy stable rock. in the marine environment. Um. But in 2000, sorry,
3: sorry, George, how big, how big, like, like diameter is something um, like that? I'm assuming it's spherical.
2: I would tell you that it kind of is the size of Brian's chair. It's three feet high. Wow. Holy shit. And, three feet and, and four feet across at the base. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Wow. Crazy. Uh, they really are stable. I'll never tell you that mother nature can't do something, but if she moves one of these reef balls, you probably have got much bigger problems on land yeah. than you do in the ocean. It looks like,
1: uh, it looks like, you know, there's like, uh, I'm looking at a photo of one right now and there's like some divers hanging around it. It sort of looks like, um, you know, there's like comical, I mean, I'm sure they're like real, but there's comical like um, water mines that like that, like World War Two uh, water yeah, yeah, mines, yeah, yeah. like mm. there's big balls that just like float in the water that it's like, it's kind of that size
2: like or somewhere
3: is, where SpongeBob lives. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah totally. It's bikini bottom. It's, it's bikini bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah well, we, the description we generally use is, if you, if you think about a wiffle ball yeah. that's been cut in half, that's largely what this yeah. is and functions as
1: a huge, yeah. Um,
2: but we really needed to make a much more economical change for our families. And so in 2008, when the economy took a dump, we made the decision to go to a four day process. And at this methodology, we would, instead of having families come all the time to Sarasota 30 days in advance, we started taking precast reef balls to our project sites. And we do projects everywhere from Galveston, Texas to Atlantic City in New Jersey, and we're about ready to add New York. So we would take them there. And on a Friday, the families would come, they would bring their loved ones cremated remains, They would mix them into a portion of the reef that we call a pearl, separate piece of the reef. And that's where the cremated remains are going to be. We then put fresh concrete on the top of the reef. And this is a very important part in its own right. And that is, this is where they personalize the reef. Mm. So uh, they'll bring mementos, maybe coins or military medals from where their loved one traveled or served, um, They'll put handprints in the uh, in the um, concrete. Anyway, and a lot of times when they're done with this, you can look at the top of the reef, and you knew who that person was in real life. Oh, I mean, yeah. you could just see it. if they're a carpenter, there would be chisels and hammers, you know, that kind of a thing that shows it. But that was a tremendous change for us. And again, incredibly worthwhile because we have a lot of advantages being a cremation memorial. And that is, first off, we are generally disconnected from the time of death. Traditional burial, you got to go in the ground three, five days, whatever your maximum is. Cremated remains can stay on the shelf, and in some cases do, for generations. Yeah. So when we started to do this, we saw a big increase with regards to um, families that wanted to participate. And in the mixing of the remains, we allow every family member that wants to have three jobs. Hold the bucket is number one, add the remains to the concrete is number two, and stirring the remains into the concrete is number three. And mm-hmm. number four is hold the bucket. So they'll add all this, they'll mix it in and we'll get little kids. I mean, not quite infants, but you know, two and three-year-olds will be there holding this with their dad,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. you know, mixing the remains. The same is true when they do the personalization. And so they'll do this, they'll take their little child's hand and put the hand print in it. Um, And what parents tell us right up front is this is the best way I could have conceived to give my, educate my child with death.
1: Yeah, totally.
2: This is not a hole in the ground, a a dark room, everybody talking in whispers. This is an arts and crafts project. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, that really is to a large degree what it is. George, what
0: what was it like for you to have that, uh, like learn about the death and grieving process through this project too, I, I, I'm guessing. So, were you in reef building before this? Right. I, this idea came to you, or what were you doing before? And how did this sort I of had, change your perspective on death?
2: I had a a, a, bi- a seasonal business uh, and an automobile emission testing business in Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, and that was the business I was working in when Don came in and made this, you know, request. Okay, and like I said. The instant he said it, it made perfect sense to me for what I wanted to do. Mm. And that's really where I started looking at the concept of death. And I thought I had an advantage over a lot of people because I'm not normally a particularly sensitive person. And I've dealt with uh, my mother. I had to deal with my father, my mother, my brother, uh, an aunt and an uncle. I had to make their arrangements. And so I kind of knew what this was and I knew what I was gonna have to do with my mother and my brother when their time came. And so I've always told people that I can be driving by my parents' cemetery and I'm not even gonna get out and go in there. I don't need to do that. Other people need to do that, but I don't. I carry with me whatever I need for my family and I'm okay with that. Other people really need to have that level of involvement. Um, I forgot where I was headed with this.
0: Yeah. Well, just to just to sort of like prompt you there, um, I, I'm curious, like t- speaking about all of those experiences and dealing with the um, process of your close loved ones passing and then seeing the experiences of these families um, using internal reefs as as a new way to sort of process and go through that, like as you as you sort of categorize it like this, like creative arts project almost as their um. Ex- um mourning their the the loss of their loved one what did you see differently in that process that you didn't get from the experiences that you had with your loved ones
2: um what i knew was when a loved one dies and you go to the funeral home you make a handful of decisions you write a check and from that point going forward you are no longer involved You're another third person in the back of the room and the funeral director is handling virtually all of the events going forward. And so you feel powerless. And what I saw in these families very early on, and I I went through some steps with this, but this is one of the first ones. And that was watching the families being involved. I really realized for me for the first time that this was involvement was important and going through the funeral home, you feel powerless. Mixing the remains in the concrete, maybe breaking a little bit of a sweat, gives you ownership. And these memorials very quickly become a lot more than my mother and father's memorial. It becomes the tribute that I made with my hands to their life. And so as I started to see this, um, the value really started to build in me. Mm. And then I started to realize as we had more families participating that because the separation from lost to whenever they were going forward, um, the vast majority of them are ready to talk about their loved one. And we would get some of the best stories that you could ever imagine. And so, this kind of builds, you know, these are people that in many cases you wish you had known in real life as opposed to having to deal with the family at the memorial. But I'll give you one more um, incredibly uh, changing experience for me. We did a memorial here in Sarasota and the family came into the concrete yard. It was a mother with, I think it was three children, of which one of them was a 13, 14 or 15 year old daughter. And she was sobbing as she was coming in. They're doing the mixing and the daughter just can't deal with this at all. The mother walks over to me and says, you know, we lost dad three years ago and she has not given up breathing in this whole time. We've had her at therapy, all this other stuff. So please don't worry from the standpoint of what you folks are doing. That was all right. We took them out on the family boat uh, to witness the actual placement of the reefs and we take all the families out. And on the way back in, we had a pot of dolphins up on the bow of the boat So everybody is up on the bow of the boat watching the dolphins. I'm up at the wheelhouse and I'm going to come down to the lower deck. And I'm walking across and I see her all by herself at the stern of the boat. And I can watch her shoulders going up and down. Watching her, all of a sudden, a dolphin came out of the water. Oh, wow. and did a tail dance probably 40 feet off the stern of the boat <laughs> and literally she stopped sobbing she went up to her mother and and hugged her and it reinforced it, it, it certainly clarified for me how different people are going to absorb this experience yeah differently and what we find is People go home and they don't talk about, you know, we just went down to Florida and buried Grandma. What they say is, you wouldn't believe what we just did in Florida. Yeah, I, I mean, they that, go-
1: yeah, like that. That's one thing that just keeps popping up for me here is like, um, you know, I like I I've we we talk about death a lot on this podcast, and um, and for like a little bit of context, I live with a a um, a genetic lung disease where my life expectancy for the you know majority of my young life was set at like 30 years old 30 or 40 years old i'm 35 now um and it it's looking like i'm going to live a lot longer than i anticipated um but for that for that amount of time before uh these you know changes in medicine came along um i i ruminated on death and and what i wanted my death to look like and how i wanted my death to be celebrated. Um, I, you know, I thought about that a lot and it's really like, it's, it really is a challenge to think of ways to, to, uh, whether it's, you know, ways to, uh, memorialize your, your loved ones, your friends or yourself, you know, the way you hope people will memorialize you when you, when you go outside of the, um, outside of like the, the typical ways that we go about that, you know, uh, bringing a bunch of people together in a, church. some sort of church or something. And, you know, a couple of people go up to the mic and they tell a story and there's like a little shrine with your photos and some flowers. And like that just never sat well with me. Um, there's, there's something about, I, I've done that. I've done that with, you know, we've done that with our close friends. I've done that with family members. And although there is, uh, Although there's something to be said for the healing, um, the healing experience that comes with that type of memorialization, um, it just never really sat well with me. There was something, there was something too sad, too somber, too. Uh, it was just, it feels like too much of a bummer. And that, and when I'm hearing you talk about eternal reefs. I mean, you know, you, you really you said it best when you when you mentioned how, you know, you have you have a father's children or you have the younger brother or sister of some um, of a brother, a, a brother or a sister who passed. And they're they're taking part in, like, building this piece
0: of art. Zuka.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah they're, <laughs> Art-zuka. they're 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 creating a piece of art. They're creating a, not only creating a piece of art. That their that their loved one is going to be, you know, um, literally a part of. But but then also to be like giving this thing back to the planet, giving this thing back to the earth, so that it it allows for like just a a a plethora of life to to be fulfilled with. Like it this it really is. I mean, it's one of those ideas that is just like. So far beyond anything that I could have just like thought of in, in my own mind, and and to know that these types of things exist out out there is is truly like just just wonderful. Like it's such a beautiful beautiful thing. And th- the other thing that I that I'm and I was I'm hoping that you can kind of uh, touch on here is how these reefs, how these eternal reef memorials, can be used outside of just like habitat development. So I, I'm on your website right now, and, and one of the things that I, I thought was really interesting was like mangrove um, restoration. Um, yes. And there's this beautiful photo of like God, maybe a hundred of these uh, urns, and each one is, 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 is in this little, um, it, it's, it's in a little bog where the water must not be any higher than three or four feet deep. And so you can just see the, the tips of these urns poking out of the water. And outside of each urn is like, is growing what looks to be um, some sort of, some sort of floral, you know, bamboo or, or, you know, some sort of tree. Jeremy,
2: Jeremy let me clarify something for you, for everybody. Yeah. And that is Reefball is a separate, Reefball Foundation is a separate organization. Gotcha. Reef, and it's a nonprofit as well as we are. And Reef Innovations is a for-profit company. And we only place our reefs in specifically permitted artificial reef sites for recreational purposes, fishing and diving. Right. We don't put anything up against the shoreline. And like I said, the smallest memorial that we use is 750 pounds. So the ones that you're looking at, the mangroves are much smaller. You're absolutely right. But there are no cremated remains in those.
1: Oh, I see. Okay.
2: And reef balls, like I said, are the international gold standard for reef development. They're used everywhere in the world, and they're used for habitat development, mangrove restoration, oyster bed development, okay. oyster bed restoration, okay. shoreline mitigation. I mean, if you can think of a reason to put a reef in the water, there is probably a reef ball application. Right.
1: Because to- I was I was looking at the oyster bed development, and I was going, man... I want to know the story. Like who's, the, who's the guy that's going, put me in the oyster
3: development bed. Like I want, I want, I want oysters growing all up off me. So, so, so reef balls, reef balls, they're like, there, there's a, there is an industry of reef yes, balls separated, yes. separate from separate, uh, uh, separate from uh, mixing remains in and everything like they're they're using reef balls for a ton of different applications you you've come in and you've said mm. hey let's marry these two things up right. and exactly. and memorialize in this in this way that is you know mm. giving back to the planet and you know whatever the application ends up being wherever i guess that would depend on where the reef ball sure. is placed and what what kind mm. of the, the the requirements or or um uh necessities of that particular location are
2: But, Jeremy, let me go back to what your conversation was. Sure, yeah. And that is that um, families no longer, or we've certainly broken up the concept of nuclear family. When I grew up, my entire family, cousins, aunts, and uncles lived within 100 miles of each other. Mm. We all scattered. Now I've got them on every coast in every direction. Uh, So the idea of a family cemetery plot was quickly changing. Then. People started to question why am I spending $4,000 for a casket that I'm going to see for 45 minutes? Yeah. And it's going to go in the ground for eternity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: So people weren't starting not to see the value of the traditional burial. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, you started seeing a lot of new concepts being introduced, us being one of them. A the second one, and this goes back to an earlier conversation we had uh, when we talked a little bit about uh, canoeing in Whitewater. And that is, I used to be a raft guide for a company in South Carolina. Mm. And uh, I maintain my connections with them. And I'm at the outpost one day, 1999, 2000. And we're sitting around and one of the uh, trip leaders turns to me and says, you know, and I was explaining what I was getting involved in. And one of the trip leaders turned to me and she said, you really need to talk to Billy and Kimberly Campbell because they're doing something similar on land. Well, the interesting part of this is Billy and I worked for the same rafting company, probably three years apart. We had the same circle of friends, but we had never met. Mm. I was living in Low Creek, South Carolina at the time. Billy was living in Westminster. We were 12 miles apart. (laughs) So I called Billy and Kimberly and get together with him. uh, Get together with him. And uh, we really kind of talk about what is this that's occurring, you know, he had he had to bury his father using a family friend as the funeral director and he came away from that experience disgusted with the funeral industry so he started the first natural burial ground in the united states he started the ramsey creek preserve and that is the number one first green burial site and when i say green there is no uh, material in there that is not natural mm. there are no vaults there are no concrete there's no anything That is uh, uh, not environmentally sound, is not in there. And it's kept as a wild and protected area. Talking through this, Billy and Kimberly and I realized that we were starting the surf and turf of the natural burial movement. (laughs) (laughs) And quite honestly, we all, Mm. you know, bloodied ourselves for the first five, six, seven years trying to move this along. But between the changing uh, attitudes in, in death and cremation in this country, we were starting to get a little bit of a benefit. Now you see it's a whole series of new options. You've got um, hydraulic, uh, uh, um, where you dissolve the body, hydrolysis, alkaline yeah. hydrolysis as one method of disposition of the body. Now you've got uh, this uh, uh, full body reduction. where they will actually take the body and put it into a sealed container with a lot of natural materials and they will decompose your body in 30 days. Mm -hmm. And you end up with a truckload of potting soil for all intents and purposes. So you're starting to see real switches. And what I'm telling the funeral industry, I had funeral directors tell me that back in 2000, 50% cremation rate. If you think cremation is here to stay, you're nuts. It's just a Mm -hmm. passing fad. Mm -hmm we got the same response. Billy got the same response. What I will tell you is if they thought cremation changed their business, this natural burial movement is going to blindside them like they never saw before. They're going to lose key revenue producers, and they're still reluctant to make the changes. Um, And what you were saying, Jeremy, is one of the things that we experienced was families don't talk or didn't talk about end of life issues. Yeah. And we constantly got families saying, you know, dad didn't tell us what he wanted done, but if he'd seen this, he'd been all over it. Um, but we never, we, we rarely got families that were starting to say, I want this when my time comes. As we got further into this, we started seeing a little bit more of that. The pandemic changed everything. Hmm. That is that there is no person on this planet in the pan- during the pandemic that did not have to look their own mortality in the yeah. mirror every time they went there. Yeah. And as a result, for the very first time in this society, people collectively began to talk. This is what I want. This is what may happen to me. So on and so forth. We saw a huge increase in our information requests across the board. We also support an organization uh, that produces a website called the conversation. And that's a website where people can go and they can get the tools, how to bring this up with their family. But all of a sudden that change is enormous. And you couple that with some of these new emerging memorial choices, the funeral industry, you're seeing more home funerals. I mean, you can just Mm -hmm. see this industry starting to really um, started to suffer. Mm. And, they're going to have to find new ways of doing business or ultimately most of them will not be able to survive yeah
1: george i, mean, I have a, a co-
2: timeline i don't i don't know what the timeline is but
1: yeah right. Uh,
2: porn
0: satan drugs therapy it's not just the list of what i'm up to this weekend I have a a question, like speaking of that, like conversation toolkit and, and some of the questions you might ask when I, when I think of that specifically about internal reefs, uh, eternal, eternal reefs, I, I think like the first thing that I think is, wow, this is really cool. Then my second question is like, holy shit, like, does that mean that then, because you, as you mentioned, you were driving by the graveyard of your, your parents and you don't need to stop in, you don't need to go to a tombstone to, to mourn or grieve um and in reality the body's buried down in the ground anyway if the body's even there and so with eternal reefs do the do you have to be put in the reef ball and it, put out to sea in florida like are do you have reef um sort of like graveyards i guess where where people can be put like how does that work because i think like fuck it this is really cool but do i want my remains to be at the bottom of the ocean for the rest of the time? And is that a common question that you get?
2: Well, let me step back first and make a, cre- a clear point. We bend over backwards, not to use the word cemetery. Mm. The minute you use the word cemetery, everybody has the same mental picture in their mind. Maybe not the same cemetery, but same
3: mm.
2: picture. So we really talk about these being memorial gardens and so on and so forth. Sometimes you can't help yourself, but we really try to stay away from that. The other part of your question really was, uh, we do work everywhere from Galveston, Texas, all the way up to now it's going to be New York and Long Island Sound. So we do cover a lot of ground and people can choose which project they would like to be part of. But we've gotten memorials from people that never saw the ocean. We did a farmer from Ohio whose family said he had never left the town he was born in. And he was one of those people who, whenever you saw him Thanksgiving, watching the football games, he's sitting there fixing something, you know, doing, he just can't just not do something. And they couldn't see him sitting in a field with a bunch of old dead people doing nothing. (coughs) And this was perfect in their mind. Visitation, we had a whole family, a Canadian family, 12 members, learn to dive so they could go and visit their loved one. Oh, wow. Wow. That, I mean that's cool. so cool. <laughs> yeah, like and that have is, you, you, have either of you guys been diving?
3: No,
1: I, I'm not allowed because of oh. my CF. It's thanks for rubbing. No it offense, in. <laughs> but sorry, but it <laughs> is
3: diving is possibly the singular it looks, coolest. Yeah, it's I,
2: I, I mean, also
0: considering we're in Nova Scotia and we're uh, we live on the coast, like this. I mean, this There's is obviously a really diving cool up here. I, yeah. idea for yeah. for here too. But uh the other thing that I think is really cool is like some of the best surf break is reef break. And mm-hmm. to like know that your your memorial garden is contributing to like great waves Ooh. is pretty fucking cool too.
3: Yeah. Um
1: uh George, there was one thing that you had mentioned before we started recording and uh and it was about uh memorializing uh turtles. Uh, can, you, can, you, can you give us a little bit of I- info into that? I thought you were going to sure. say the
3: thing about what that Brian said.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. We, don't, we won't say what Brian said before we started recording. That's that, great. We, we decided not to say that. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Jordan.
2: Um, back, I think, in 2007, we got a phone call from the Karen Beasley Turtle Rescue Clinic, which is located on Topsail Island in North Carolina and is one of the premier uh, turtle hospitals in the world today. They had been taking care of a turtle called Dare. They named it after the county that she was found in and knew that she was never going to go back in the wild. She became the favorite, if you will, the pet of all of the volunteers at the turtle hospital. And she could tell the difference in the vibrations in the floor from when somebody was coming in to feed her or the vet was coming in to examine her. Beat her, she came to the side of the tank. Vet, she went to the middle of the tank. She was so popular that once a month they had a spa day for her. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, she died. One of the interns there had heard about Eternal Reefs and they called us and said, look, this turtle has got, you know, so many families, so many fans and stuff like that. Is there anything you could do? I looked at it, I hate to say it this way, as a marketing opportunity. I sent my team up to North Carolina with our moles, and they cast Dare's Reef right there on the property with all the volunteers being involved in helping. They then left the memorial for a year and they used it as a fundraiser. And people would come by and they'd write on it with chalk or they'd stick flowers in it. I have no idea how much money they made, but they were excited about it. So after that first year, we did a project up there. We took Dara out along with six other people and uh, placed her on what is now known as Dares Reef. Hmm. Hmm. It has become so popular; it is one of the things that I get people naming it right to me. I want to be on Dares Reef. Uh, one of the problems that we have, and it's a very significant problem, is every single thing that we do is permitted, and in some cases, there are 27 different state, federal, and local agencies that are involved in issuing the permit. Right. And permits expire. So I could never turn to somebody and say, I can promise you that you're going to be next to your father. Mm. I just, I can't even promise you you're going to be on the same reef site. It's possible, but I can't make that commitment. So we got an awful lot of legwork out of, um, out of DARE. That intern then became one of the residents at the Georgia Sea Turtle Center on Jekyll Island. And they had a turtle that died. And she wanted to see if we would do the same thing. Griffin, in, in this particular turtle hospital, they keep a log. And everybody, if you want to sign up to sponsor a turtle, you become part of that turtle's family. Griffin was the turtle that they had. Griffin had over 600 families contributing to him every year. Oh, wow. So we did a project with them. And by the way, in both projects, we timed it. So we were doing them at the same time that both of these organizations were doing their turtle releases, and if anybody ever gets the opportunity to go watch a turtle release, oh
1: man, yeah, you gotta go. It's the cutest thing Topps in the world. Island, yeah,
2: Topps, I will tell you without exaggeration, there had to be six, seven thousand people there. <laughs> School buses were lined up as far as the eye yeah. could see. Yeah, it, I mean, we, they put out fourteen turtles, but it was a big thing. So we did Griffin, and um, he's down in Miami. And then we got another call from the turtle hospital and we worked directly with the turtle hospital. So since then, I think we've done 11 other
0: turtles
2: (laughs) for the turtle hospital, each one of them in a reef ball with a plaque on it, identifying who they are. And uh, that's really kind of where we've been at. Um, In terms of pets, we've done the most pets we've ever done with one memorial was 23. And that ranges from large dogs to a ferret.
3: But do you mean like all mixed into, re- into one? In, all, all mixed into one? All one? Re- yeah. yeah, they're yeah. all
2: mixed into one. And cool. so he or she—I forget if it was a man or a woman—is together with their entire zoo. Mm,
0: that's
3: really. I, cool. I think I, I <laughs> what I what I kind of really love, kind of going back to what you were saying um, a few minutes ago, George, is like about the just like how the i know that something that we talked about um when we um um when we spoke uh with return home about taramation is like just like and and what we've mentioned here is like the 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 slow the slow changing nature of the funeral industry like it is Mm -hmm. it's you know it's got its it's got a it's got a strong grip and it's very it's very tough to to let go of of the traditions or the way that things have been done in the past and and it is you know through through us doing this show and being able to speak with um people who are doing different people who are approaching um approaching like funeral arrangements and or, or, and like remains and memorializations in, in in different ways is really it's just really interesting and and i i'm I'm just the thought of how people seem to be having these conversations like they seem to be getting more uh, more thoughtful, and I don't, and I don't mean this as like a knock on somebody who wants to be buried in a mm-hmm. buried in a cemetery or in a coffin or whatever. But um, that there seems to be uh, a, a, a deeper, more involved process with thinking about what does your body, what do your remains do once you're no longer living? Like, what are they, what are they doing? What are they contributing to? What kind of like meaning are they providing? Uh, other than other than I feel like in the more traditional sense of the, of the funeral being buried in a cemetery, it's like your meaning and your contribution is sort of ethereal. It's with your, it's, it's with it. It's with the people that carry on your legacy, your family, your friends, whatever. And in, in a lot of the things that we've explored in terms of these different types of memorializations and, um, and funeral arrangements is that we're, we're kind of seeing more, more like physical contribution, more, a concrete um, contribution to like what our bodies can do once we're no longer living, which is really interesting that we're, we're thinking like, what can we continue to contribute once we're no longer here?
0: Yeah. And, and also um, what damage can we reduce from the current process? Because like traditional burials can be very environmentally unfriendly. I mean, look at the amount of, uh, of cemeteries and graveyards that there are in this city and the amount of land that that takes up. And then, like all of this sort of um, <laughs> garbage that is put into oh, the yeah. ground, not the bodies themselves, Brian but just, like the Brian caskets. Just let of, it
3: be known, Brian just called <laughs> people's remains garbage. <girls>, so like. <laughs> I was talking about the <laughs> <laughs> the material of the coffins and stuff. Jesus, but Brian. but I
0: think people are becoming more environmentally conscious in general, and and yeah. to your point, Taylor, like want to find out how their body cannot be a burden on society mm. when it's there and contribute.
3: This Ooh. is a totally random thought. Anybody can contribute as much as you'd like to, and this isn't a knock on religion. But I I was thinking the same thing. But like, (laughs) but I feel like if you are if you are a religious person, I feel like there's a higher likelihood that your that your mindset is that um, you or whatever version of you you know kind of exists or you feel like exists after you have passed is kind of like going somewhere else, and so um, and so that thought is ethereal but because, but i think may and i'm just theorizing that with a drop in the percentage of people that identify as having like a, a religion that they adhere to being a, especially a, 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 being devout in a religion is there maybe just a a higher degree of a a bigger amount of people out there that are much more grounded in the idea that that like they're here they're staying here on earth and they are like they want to find out how they can continue to contribute Ooh. here where their physical form is going to stay. Like maybe that's, maybe that has something to do with how we're seeing these trends in the funeral industry um, and the burial remains industry change. Like it, cause it seems to be maybe, maybe I'm perceiving it differently yeah. because I'm in the bubble of, of people that Get to talk about this stuff all the time, but it seems like it's well. I know, I know personally,
0: like personally, just to I know that that anecdotally is my perspective because I'd say when I was born and I went to Sunday school and I grew up as a a, a Christian and was confirmed and and all of that stuff. I at that point I probably thought, oh, when I die, I'll be buried in a coffin and my body will stay here and my the image of myself will go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that my beliefs have shifted. I believe that I'm still a very spiritual person, but I believe that my energy and the body that I have here, the energy from that will be able to contribute back to the ground and the earth and nature. And so an environmentally friendly burial or memorialization would Ooh. make a lot more sense to me than trying to preserve the image of myself currently so that I can then go out and be you know, mm. me in the
1: afterlife. Yeah. yeah.
3: Interesting uh, thing to kind of, George, uh,
1: I mean, all of this is is so fascinating and and it really does kind of uh, it's a great addition to a lot of the conversations we've had over the the past, you know, several years talking about um, talking about death and talking about the options that we have when we die, the things that our family members can do to to remember us.
0: Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. I did have one other question because we haven't touched on this, but how expensive is this? <laughs> right. I, I think like, you know, the typical burial process is seen as something that's very expensive. How does this compare to like a traditional burial?
2: We are a 501, three C charitable organization. And the cost of what we do, the donations range from $3,995 up to $8,495. And it depends upon the size of the reef that we're using. So that really is the, the range that we, we do, um, Basically That's on fantastic. on par oh, with but, yeah. but but to compare when we first started out what we tried to do to attract the funeral industry was replace the revenue that they lost from um casket sales. Mm. That was what our target was. Like I said, we didn't get very far with the funeral industry, um, and obviously changed all of our approaches, our financing and everything else that, that changed with. It. But a traditional funeral. You can watch them on TV. They're $10,000, 12000 $15,000. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, that doesn't include the cemetery costs. Yeah. So there is a huge expense. And that comes back to the concept of value. People mm-hmm. don't see the value in spending $15,000 for something that they're going to deal with for a day and a half max,
3: mm-hmm. kind of a mm-hmm. thing. It seems so, very, uh, it was very, uh, like, very much, like, seems very much in line with, um, with, uh, with the conversation that we had with Return Home in terms of like pricing like pricing um uh like the price range and stuff and yeah. and I think that that's probably the in terms of cost, it's probably the main thing that you pointed out there George is like the is that uh is that you know with a with like a with a coffin there's a gigantic range of price um and then there's like extras and add-ons and things like that and then there's the plot and I'm not sure I guess it probably works differently in different places, but I'm assuming a plot. I, I, I'm not sure if you buy a plot out right. Or if you, or if you like pay sort of like a, like a lease or, so, or uh, something on that, like a hundred year in, lease or something like that. In Europe,
2: there is a timeline. You rent a plot for a certain period of time and your family can extend that. Mm-hmm. But if they choose not to, you're brought up, your bones go into what they literally call a bone house. Oh, and crazy. A, you can walk into them and they're just walls of of uh, bone remains,
0: like catacombs. Wow! Yeah, that's here in wow. the
2: states, I am unaware of any leasing of um, cemetery plots. To the best of my knowledge, all of them are owned. But right. there are a lot of cemeteries, and I haven't seen them all.
3: So. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's a very interesting. Um, it's a. It's a. It's a very interesting um, um, proposition, and like. And, and I, and, and I, I, I don't know. There's just something about, there's just something about these, like, I, I don't, I don't even want to call them alternative anymore because like they cause I don't think of them as alternative. I, 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 I feel like my, 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 my gut instinct to say the world alternative when talking about things like this is, mo- is because of like the, maybe the wider, the wider audience, like the, like if you're thinking on like a population scale, but like, I don't think about these as alternative. Like I think of these as like. Like very sensible, pragmatic, logical ways of of memorializing yourself, if you will. (laughs) I guess you're an early adopter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We've had a discussion about uh, what novel means. That we recognized early on was there's a big difference between what we do, what Billy Campbell, the Green Burial Movement does, and a lot of these uh, businesses that will take your cremated remains and blow you into glass. They will Mm -hmm. uh, make a diamond. They will, you know, there's a whole variety of options. And what we recognized was all of these are niche players, one, and two, the big difference is we can use all some or none of the remains. We've done memorials Mm. where the body has never been recovered. Um, So Mm. there's a big difference. And I look at all of those that can just use a small portion of the remains, Fireworks, shotgun shells, duck decoy, you know, this list is endless. Um, They are niches because the family still has to make a decision about what to do with the remainder of their remains. And you brought up religion a minute ago. One of the things that we did early on was we contacted the Catholic Church. And I spoke to a number of monsignors in the Atlanta area and told them what we were doing. And every one of them told us the same thing because the church is seeing cremation skyrocket. Um, They didn't have a problem with it, but if the family asked, they should talk to their own parish priest. That's really what we told folks. I'm sure that some folks decided they couldn't do it, but we are seeing all of the religions move towards different levels of acceptance of cremation as an option, Um, already the New York Catholic Church has come out against the full body reduction. Say it's, it's not a natural process. Seems to be embalming is okay, but, not the, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but
3: the the most um, natural way of com- of a body component decomposing. I wonder how much there.
0: the funeral industry uh, donates to churches. Oh, dude, Brian I'm just asking questions. I'm just <laughs> asking I'm just I'm just, I'm just pulling I'm just, a thread and seeing where I'm just, it just the idea came to my mind. I was just curious. <laughs> I just put it out there. Uh, George,
1: uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, what I was really going to say was that um, back in the 60, early 60s, the, the Vatican literally realized that they were starting to lose revenue to um, cremation in Europe. And Europe has a major league land issue, space. And so what they said then was Burying the body is the preferred methodology, but if you're cremated, you have to keep all the cremated remains together. Somebody doesn't get to be shot up in space Mm. and also be an eternal reef. And so we created a different type of a mold that we use for these families. And if anybody says, you know, I'm not comfortable mixing dad into concrete, I want him to be all in one place, we've, we've addressed that. But the churches are really starting to come around and recognize that um, the traditional burial is really starting to fade.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. George, um, how can people uh, find Eternal Reefs? How can people get involved if, if they're interested in listening right now?
2: You mean other than watching your podcast?
1: Other than that, yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: Okay. Um, www.eternalreefs.com is our website. We have a very uh, active Facebook page. We have, I think, twenty three thousand. Uh, fans on Facebook for more organization organization, that's not too bad. Um, And we're on Facebook. So those are the two key places you'll find us on the web and you'll find us on Facebook.
1: Cool. Well, George, this has been uh, a real delightful conversation. Thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and chat
2: with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity and good luck with everything you're doing. I think it's an important program.
0: For, For those who have stuck around to this very end part, I just want to ask Taylor, Are you going to change your will later today? Well, you know what?
2: What
3: I what I actually specifically put in my will was that I wanted to use terramation, and then I said, and then I actually put in that if, um, for any reason the cost um, was prohibitive, um, that I would that I would be cremated, and um, and then I suppose I could. And would definitely be open to adding. I mean, although it is, it's kind of, it's. I think they're kind of like an apples to apples comparison, cost wise. (laughs) But um, um, that, uh, I consider options. Like I, yeah, like I kind of like the idea of going. Hey, these are like three ways that I would like to be that I would that I would like what I would like to happen to my remains, and sort of go here. You've got like three options here, and uh, yeah, there you go. Tune in later.
2: We have a lot of families. They'll scatter a portion of the remains at the deer stand where dad used to hunt portion of the remains in a favorite location, then use the rest of the remains to create an internal reef. I got to say,
3: I like the idea of having uh, something that family could dive to. Yeah. Is super cool. Very neat. Yeah. 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 Super cool.
0: If you died and you were a reef. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. If, yeah. if you died and were turned into a reef, I would learn to dive to visit.
3: You should learn to dive well before that. I'll get a. I'll <laughs> assuming, get a assuming I die uh, a long time. Before. I'll get a diving <laughs> bell
1: uh, so I can do it too.
3: A diving bell? Yeah. the big old helmet.
1: Right. Thanks a lot, George. This has been really fun. Thanks, George.
2: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Good luck.
1: That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even... Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sipwork.